back there if you'd like to go grab one of those. Wow, I went. There we go. First John, live in the light. There's an old uh, preacher. His name is Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman. And he tells a story about another minister, a very distinguished pastor from Australia, who preached very strongly against the subject of sin. After one of the services where he had given one of these powerful messages about sin, his, one of his church officers came to him and said, uh, Dr. Howard, we would like to ask you something. Please do not talk so openly <laughs> as you do about uh, man's guilt and corruption. Because if our boys and girls hear you discussing that subject... They're going to more easily become sinners. Call it, call it a mistake, but don't speak so plainly about sin. Um, this is a true story. The, the minister, he took down a, a, a small bottle off the shelf and he showed it to the person and he said, you see that label? It says strychnine. And underneath uh, that, in bold letters, poison. He said, do you know, man, what you're asking me to do? You are suggesting that I change the label on this bottle. And suppose I do. Suppose I change the label and I put on the words, essence of peppermint. Don't you see what might happen? Someone would use it not knowing the danger in that bottle and they would die. And so it is too with the matter of sin. He said, the milder you make your label, the more dangerous you make your poison. I just want to say this morning, as we talk about this topic today, that we, we live in a time where the labels on sin are very mild. Even in Christian circles, everyone wants to call sin by another name, something other than what it is, and that is poison. But sin is still as poisonous and as deadly as it has ever been. So back in John's day, the Apostle John, the Gnostics who were in the church, these were people who claimed, yes, I believe in Christ, but, I, but let's, uh, let's reframe what the Bible has to say. Uh, they put a different narrative on the Bible, as we might say today. But these people who were in the church, they thought they were so smart, and they put a different spin on sin. Their doctrine and teaching was that Christians really shouldn't worry about sin at all. I mean, put a different label on it. Don't worry about it. According to them, it's not even really sin, technically. It's just my body doing its thing. It's just me, my mind, doing its thing, all matter is evil and everything spiritual is good, so anything matter is always going to be evil. And those two are so separate, it doesn't really matter. But John sees right through that garbage. And as a wise pastor there in Ephesus, he's going to help his, his uh, flock, the people in his church, deal with their sins in the right way, the effective way, the way that actually works for a person. He's not just going to minimize sin or deny sin. We're going to deal with it. 
up front. By the way, someone tried, I read this week, to list all the sins in the Bible. <laughs> Mentioned uh, the sins of commission, means, meaning the sins you commit, things you do that you should not have done. Or the sins of omission, things that you didn't do that you should be doing. And um, they found 667 sins. I don't know why they couldn't just take one off and have 666. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway... They found 667 sins. And of course we know, you know, there's some people that talk about the seven deadly sins. Those are famous. Pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, and sloth. But there are also all these other sins of commission and omission. Worry, selfishness, bitterness, anger, cursing, deception, being uncaring, thinking evil thoughts, being a busybody, not humbling yourself, complaining, not bridling your tongue, filthy conversation, covetousness, not paying what you owe, not praying. The list goes on and on and on and on. And I'll be honest, as I read through that list, I started to feel smaller and smaller and smaller. I realized I've committed every single one. I am a wicked person. I mean, you name it in the Bible, and I feel like that's me. That's hard. So thank (laughs) the Lord today for this amazing passage that we're about to look into. It's going to help us know how to deal with our sin. The sins that we're going to commit today, as soon as you walk out of this door... Maybe even some that you're committing right now, <laughs> looking at me and saying, man, this, you know, I don't know. But thank the Lord for this, what he, this passage right here. First of all, what he's going to deal with right here in verse 5, John's going to establish first things first. An important principle that he re- received, he tells us, directly from Jesus. Remember, John is a disciple of Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He heard Jesus. He saw Jesus. He touched Jesus. And here's something he received directly from him. Here we go. Verse John, chapter 1, verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There's the principle. There is the principle of good and evil. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. God's nature, who he is, is light. He likens it to light. Meaning in this place, in this passage, sinless perfection. He is perfect. There is not a drop of unholiness. There is not a drop of sin in God. Actually, light in scripture represents many things uh, when it comes to God. In several other places, it refers to his glory. Light could refer to his truth. But mostly here in this passage, what we're talking about is how light represents God's perfection. In other words, God is the standard of what is perfect. God is the standard of holiness. Why is punching a random person in the face at the store a bad thing? (laughs) Some people say, hey, it doesn't sound that bad to me sometimes. I was in the store the other day. It seemed like a good thing. But no, why is that a bad thing? Because... It's not in God's nature to do that. That's why it's bad. Why is being selfish 
a bad thing because it's not in line with God. It's not in line with God's nature. Why is contentment a good thing? Because it is in line with God's nature. It's in line with God. So we can judge things in our life based on this principle. Light or darkness. Things are either light or they are dark. John actually does this throughout his letter. And as we go through, we're going to see that. Certain beliefs and certain behaviors are light. And certain beliefs and certain behaviors are dark. And there's either light or dark. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. By the way, this is actually a great concept to talk about in the home, especially if you have children. You know, sometimes we don't have chapter and verse for why we do or don't do certain things. You know, they, they come to you, Dad, I wouldn't do this. Well, I, 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 I don't know. I can't put my finger on it, but I don't want to do this. This just doesn't seem right. And so sometimes we'll even use the terminology in our home. Um, I don't know. This just seems dark. That, that program, that thing, whatever, it just feels dark. And so let's not get involved in that. Let's not go there. There's just something dark about it. Dark and light, dark and light. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. This principle establishes that there are good things and there are righteous things and then there are things that are sin. So now John is going to deal with the false teaching that comes against that principle. And if you look closely at what we're about to look at, these same philosophies that he's going to deal with now, these next three, uh, are some that are creeping into the churches and homes today, all of the time. And here's the first one in verse 6. It says, if we say that we have fellowship with Him, that is God, if we say we have fellowship with Him and we yet walk in darkness, we lie. We lie. And we do not the truth. So the first thing he's going to deal with is this denial of sin's harm. I can have fellowship with God and yet live however I want. I can have fellowship with God and live however I want. It's those people with one foot on the dock and one foot in the boat. (laughs) That's never a good idea, by the way. I've tried that. But look at the verse. If we say, if we say. This is how John introduces each false concept here that we're going to look at. All All these people are doing is saying. If we say, meaning their their mouth is moving, but they aren't making any sense. Makes me think of the internet. Everyone can say anything you want. You can say whatever you want on the internet. But John says what they're saying is a big fat lie. They lie and do not the truth. You know, not too many preachers would say this anymore. That is a lie of the devil. You know, John, back, John, many people throughout the centuries have called him the apostle of love. And I don't know if you've noticed, but some of the paintings, when they paint John, the apostle, they paint him in a very, very feminine way. I mean, some of the old paintings are just absolutely ridiculous. And uh, he's called the apostle of love. But, but that's what they call him. But remember what Jesus called him, the son of thunder. I like what J. Vernon McGee said about this. He said, you know, John, someday in heaven, if, some, if those painters were believers, someday when they get to heaven, John's going to meet up with them. He's going to have a little talk with them. 
And uh, why did you paint me in such a feminine way? Let's have a little discussion about this. John says it is a lie. You say you can have fellowship with him and do whatever you want to do. That is a lie. His point was very clear. You say, I can enjoy sweet fellowship with God, but live in darkness. You're a liar and the truth is not in you. The Gnostics lie was this. Again, as I mentioned, spirit is good. Matter is evil. Flesh is evil. What we do in the body has no bearing on the spirit. So we can do whatever we want and continue to keep that fellowship with God. Doesn't matter. John's attacking that directly. But scripture couldn't be clearer and John couldn't be clearer. It is a lie if you're saying that. If there is constant unconfessed sin in our life as a Christian, you will never be able to enjoy the blessings of sweet closeness to God. That's as plain as he can make it here. So here's the remedy. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Here's what it says. It says, if we walk in the light, to walk, of course, means to live. It's referring to our lifestyle, what we're characterized by in our life. He says, be characterized by light. Live, walk in the light. If we live in this life that is in line with God, there are two wonderful byproducts that come, as John says here. Number one is fellowship with other believers. There is, just a, there is just a sweetness of fellowship. And then the other one is that there's the fact that the blood of Christ keeps on cleansing us from sin. I'll talk about that in a minute. A minute. But first of all, this fellowship idea. That, you know, when we're walking in the light of God, there's an unexplainable oneness with other believers. Have you ever noticed how Christians who are living in constant and unconfessed sin really begin to have little desire to come to church? Pretty soon they don't even want to be around other believers. There's just too much guilt there. Too much stuff going on on the inside. I don't want to be around light. I prefer darkness. And Jesus, of course, said, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And, you know, when, you, when somebody of light starts to go around people of darkness, boy, man, it's, <laughs> it can often be like cockroaches and... <laughs> As a pastor, I ruin a lot of parties. In fact, it's, I mean, it's just funny to me. I know what's going on. But uh, you remember what the Proverbs say, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. There's just something about when you have unconfessed sin, you just run like a cockroach. But any Christian who lives in the light and comes to God with their with their confession and brings it openly to God. God, I'm a sinner. Would you please forgive me? Open, honest, humble. There is just a sweet fellowship that begins to come when you come around then other believers who are just living in the same boat. We're all just people who are weak, who have sin in our life and need to get it taken care of. And we all understand that. And we live in that light. There's another benefit here, and that is that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us, that is present tense, meaning it continues to cleanse from all sin. 
In other words, what we can say is the blood keeps on cleansing. But wait a minute. I thought that we're saved by trusting in Jesus, not by living in the light. Well, this is not a verse about salvation. This is a verse about sanctification. This is not a, this is not a verse about our position in Christ. That's been settled by our faith in Jesus. But it is about our fellowship with Christ, our fellowship with Him. Remember, I told you this is a family letter. 1 John is a family letter. It's to Christians. It's, it's dealing with sin as a believer. So it's not really to unbelievers. It's to, it's to his own family. Here's what the verse is saying then. A Christian who is walking in the light knows by that light, because you're walking in the light and God is speaking to you and you understand things correctly and the Holy Spirit is working in your life, you inherently then know what to do, do with your sin. It begins to bubble in your heart. You begin to have some feelings of guilt and, and uh, your conscience is bothering you. So what you do is then you bring that sinful action to the Lord. And you bring it openly to God. You confess it to Him. And He cleanses it once again. And He cleanses your heart. He cleanses your mind. And in this sense, the blood continues to cleanse you from your sin each and every day. There is a continual cleansing in the blood of Christ. Yes, your position is already sealed in heaven, but all this sin down here needs to be continually cleansed from our conscience. And the best thing we could do then is, is to bring it to Him. Now, the, one of the greatest descriptions of this in the Bible is an object lesson that Jesus gave. Jesus gave object lessons. He loved to tell stories, but he also did an object lesson. This was one of the purposes for this thing. You remember the story of Jesus being in the upper room with his disciples, the Last Supper, some people call it. And after the, and after the supper, Jesus started to go around and wash the feet of the disciples. I, I, you wonder what they were thinking, each one, as Jesus came one by one to each of the disciples and knelt down in front of them. And took their feet. And the Bible is very clear. He took off his uh, robe and he put on a towel to begin to wash their feet as uh, the servant's job was. And we know, what, and I'm sure the disciples are wrestling in their mind, why is Jesus doing this? Why is Jesus doing this? Why is he doing this? We certainly know that one of the reasons is he was giving them an example. He tells them afterwards, I'm giving you this example. So you know how to serve and not just be served. You need to be a servant. But as he came to Peter, something else happened. And there was another lesson that Jesus was trying to teach in this. And it's very helpful in understanding this whole thing about the blood cleansing from our daily sin that separates our fellowship with God. Here's the verses, John chapter 13. This is the gospel of John. Here's, I'm just going to, let's go through this. He rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Now, in this question, Peter was saying, okay, all right, <laughs> Jesus, okay, you're the master. You're our teacher. You're the Lord. You should not be kneeling down in front of me and washing my dirty feet. This is just not, this is not you, okay? 
I should be washing your feet, in other words. I'm the servant. I should be doing this for you. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. What I'm about to do, Peter, you're going to have a better understanding of later. Peter saith unto him, Okay then, thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Peter saying, No, Jesus, don't. I, I can't do it. You, you, I, this, is, this is beyond you. I, I, this is just not right for you to be doing this. And Jesus said, If I wash you not, Peter, you're not going to have any part in me. How could, you, how could you have fellowship with me? How could you be close to me if I don't wash you? And Peter says, okay, fine. I understand that little spiritual lesson you're trying to give there, Jesus. <laughs> but then here's what I want to ask then. And he now gets very spiritual. He over-spiritualizes. And he says, Lord, not my feet only then, but also my hands and my head. Then give me the full washing. If that's what makes a relationship with you, this washing, then I want the whole bit. So Jesus is trying to work with this little object lesson here with Peter. So verse 10, Jesus saith unto him, and here's the important piece I want to look at. He that is washed needeth not save or accept to wash his feet. But he's clean everywhere, or every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore, he said he, ye are not all clean. Here's the point of it. He's saying, he that is washed needeth not to save to wash his feet. He said, listen, you, you've been washed. I've washed you. I've cleansed you from your sin. You're completely washed already spiritually. Now, all I need to do is wash your feet. That's it spiritually, there's a lesson here. You're clean everywhere. You're clean. You're a saved person. You have your sins forgiven. I just need to wash your feet. And then he said, you're, you are all clean. He said, oh, you're all saved. You're all born again. But not quite all. <laughs> there is one here, Judas. You know, in those days, you would take a bath and... Uh, after you take your bath, you'd often have to go out of the bathhouse and walk somewhere to your house or wherever. And after your bath, you're all clean. You're a nice, clean person. But what would get, what would get dirty on your way home? Your feet. Your feet and your sandals. So you would need a foot washing. Jesus wanted them to think of this spiritually. Peter, other disciples, you're already clean. You've already had the bath. You're saved. But you still need a spiritual foot washing every day. You need a cleansing. So there is full cleansing, the position in Christ. But then there's also a daily cleansing that helps us stay in fellowship with the Lord. And it's necessary. And we have to have it. It's just like if there's an issue between a husband and wife. If there's something there, if there's a sin that's been committed... There is just something there that needs to be cleaned. There's something there that needs to be taken care of. It needs to be out in the open. It needs to be covered so that there can be a, a returning and a fellowship again. And this is God's way of dealing with sin. This is Jesus' way. This is the light way, the walking in the light way. And the Christian who is walking in the light knows how to do that. They know how to sit in the chair 
and let Jesus come and they know how to expose their dirty feet to Jesus and let Jesus begin to wash their feet. And it's, it's an extremely humbling thing to sit there and open up your heart to the God who, who died for that sin, whose blood is the thing. It's not water that he's using. He's using his blood to cleanse those spiritual feet of ours. The next false claim that these people were using and John wanted to address is the denial of the sin nature. People who would say, I'm not really a sinner. I don't really have a sin nature. Verse 8. Verse 8. If we say, again, here we go, if we say, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. What a ridiculous thing to say. (laughs) But some seem to have no problem saying it. I've met people out witnessing and door knocking that really seem to think they have no sin. There are some that say we have no sin nature. They try to convince themselves that they no longer have or they never have to begin with had a sin nature, a sin, sin disease in them. And look what John says. You can say that all day. But the only person you're deceiving is yourself. Certainly not deceiving God. You're not deceiving your family, that's for sure. You're not deceiving your friends. You're just deceiving yourself. The world says people are born basically good. People are born basically good. Socialism certainly teaches that. But they're just deceiving themselves. No one has to train a child to do wrong, as we know. Uh, every one of my kids have come out little sinners automatically. I've never once had to, okay, I want to, come here. I'm going to show you, I'm going to teach you how to lie. Okay. You've never done this before. So I'm going to teach you, I'm going to teach you how to complain and whine to get what you want. You you just seem to be a perfect child. I don't know. I need to teach you this. Never had to do that. Always had to teach the opposite because we naturally are sinners left to ourselves. We would self-destruct. But even some Christians start to believe a form of these beliefs. I am not a sinner. I don't have sin. For example, let me take the doctrine some call radical grace or hyper grace or the theological name antinomianism. This is one particular that has caused me to do lots of study. It's a doctrine of salvation and grace that has been twisted into a pretzel. The bottom line of the teaching is that since we've been saved and all of our sin is forgiven, that any sin that we now commit is a non-issue to God. They invoke grace. The Christian has been given grace, so he or she should never think about their sin ever because God doesn't see it. God doesn't even see it. He only sees Jesus' blood covering our sin. They say that we're then not required to obey the moral commands of God's word. Because then it would cause you to feel guilty and you're not supposed to feel guilty about that sin. You're under grace. And if you do feel guilty, that just means you're a legalist and you're not and you aren't accepting the grace God has given. So the bottom line is ignore those feelings of guilt. You're not really a sinner. You're not really a sinner. You're a saint. So don't think about all that sin. You see how they can take some biblical truth and then twist it into something radical, into this pretzel that you can't quite figure out. 
the problem in, is in that, it, like it says in Jude chapter 1, verse 4, of course, is ter- it turns the grace of God into lasciviousness. And a biblical understanding of grace actually teaches the opposite, which is Paul made very clear in Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And what does that grace teach us? It teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we that are under that grace should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. If you really understand grace, then you see that righteous living is what God commands. And you, and you want to do it. But the deception is out there of all, this, of all this stuff, and it feels good at first to hear those things. It feels really nice. But it leaves people empty in the end. You can go like that for a while. You can kind of believe that for a while and push away sin and ignore it, kind of sweep it under the rug and just say, no, I don't have sin. No, I just don't have sin. I, I, don't, I don't have sin. But you, but you didn't. No, I don't really have any sin. I don't have any sin. I just don't ever sin. But you're just deceiving yourself, John says. And you're not dealing with it truthfully. You're not just getting it out there and dealing with it. This week we had our septic tank pumped. Whew. And um, that thing had been filling up with uh, stuff for too long. Okay, we let, it, we let it go too long. It was packed full. He opened that lid and it was packed to the brim. And if we would have never dealt with it, the problem would have got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I could have gone on denying that the septic tank even existed. That, we don't have a septic tank. We don't have a septic tank. We don't even have a septic tank. But I would just be deceiving myself. All that garbage would still be under there. And soon I'd have to deal with it. We have to deal truthfully with sin. Get it out there in all of its ugliness and grossness. Bring it up to the surface. Don't try some new fancy way of getting rid of guilt. Thankfully, God gives us the way to do it. Right here in, these, in this passage. And the following verse is the only way it can be done. When we have sin. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There are some very important words in this verse. First of all, it says we. If we. Again, this is for Christians. John's talking about Christians. If we confess. Confess means to agree with. Agree with. Agree with God. Not agree with yourself. Don't agree with your friend. Agree with God about that sin. And then sins, plural. This means that we're supposed to confess individual sins. This is not referring to the fact of us initially coming to God for salvation and confessing that we are a sinner. No, this is confessing individual sins. As Adrian Rogers says, you're calling sins by their first name. When you come to God in confession. If there's a sin that you know is in there. Bring it to Him. 
Lord, I agree with you that I have had pride. I have been greedy. I have had wrath and anger. I have been envious. I have had lust. I have been a glutton. I have been slothful, those seven deadly sins. I've been selfish. I've been bitter. I've cursed. I've been uncaring. I've thought evil thoughts. I've not humbled myself. I've not prayed like I should. I've had filthy conversation. I've not bridled my tongue. I've been a busybody. Forgive me and cleanse me, please. And here's what God promises. If we will confess, if we will agree with God that those things are sin and we'll bring them to him, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful. The word faithful gives us the impression that God has given us his word, that he will do this. He will forgive every time you confess. And he says, even there, for, for all unrighteousness, all of it, not just a, 10 of them, all of them. If you come to, in humility and confession, he applies the blood. And then the cycle repeats itself time and time again. You bring it, he applies the blood. We bring the sin, he applies the blood. We, we bring it, he applies the blood. He's just. You know, normally if to say that God is just in dealing with my sin, that would scare a sinner. Because God's justice demands that he punishes sin. But because Jesus already took the punishment for my sin on the cross, now the just thing, the fair thing, the righteous thing for God to do would be to forgive. To apply that blood and forgive. That is the just thing. Forgiveness for my sin is based on justice. It's not based on my lovableness. Look how cute I am, God. Please forgive me. That's, that has no basis there. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And, but based on his faithfulness, that he's promised to do this, and based on his justice, that the blood has been spilled and it will cover my sin, God says, I will forgive that. And I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He forgives the offense. He cleanses the stain so we can feel clean and have a clear conscience and, have, and restore fellowship, sweet fellowship with God again. You know, when the prodigal son returned, the father grabbed him, brought him home, brought him in. He didn't just immediately throw that new cloak right over him. The, the kid had been in the pig pen with uh, just horrible mess all over him and mud. Now the, the father made sure he got a bath first. He cleansed him. He came and got cleansed. And that's what God will do for us. We come to the Father. He gives us a good cleaning. And then He throws that cloak over us and celebrates that we have come to Him in confession. But hear this. This is not a promise that God will remove every consequence of sin. You may still have to pay the price for any sin. You and I may have to pay the price for any sin that we've committed here. But praise God, He removes the stain in here. And He removes the stain in here. And He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We still have the presence of sin until we get to heaven. Now, just mark my words here. This is the only way to deal with sin. It's the only honest way to deal with sin. Everybody else, try. if we say we have no sin, if we say this, if we say that, you can say whatever you want. But this is the way we deal with sin. God has given it to us. And sometimes it helps to just close your eyes 
in prayer. And imagine that object lesson that God gave. Imagine the caring eyes of Jesus in front of us as he kneels down to wash our feet. By the way, when you think of it this way, it really brings an honest confession in that I don't want to ever do this sin again. That sense of Jesus, your blood, has, you, it, is the perp, it is the reason you died. Why would I want to take part in those things that put you on the cross? And lastly, verse uh, 10 here in just a moment, denial of sinful actions. I haven't actually sinned. This is another form of this. And verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. This is basically saying I have never done a sinful action. The last one more is referring to the inner disease of sin. This one's speaking of the outward symptoms. Again, this concept is rooted in the philosophy of the Gnostics. All matter is evil. There's not really sin done in the body. In other words, it's not actually sin when I sin. This is downplaying and minimizing sin. We call... We do that so often. I, we call adultery having an affair. We call selfishness standing up for my rights. We say we have not sinned. We say we have not sinned. John says that if we may do, say this, we make God a liar. God has said all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible is full of stories, even his own people who are constantly sinning. And God's forced to deal with their sin. Are you saying the whole entire Bible is a lie? The book of Judges, my goodness, wicked. And so there's no sin there? Come on. So if you say you have no sin, you're basically saying God has misled the whole human race. And are you prepared to make God a liar? And as this verse says, if, if we say that God's a liar, then obviously his word is not actually in us. And all of... John's church members were now on notice with what he just has written. You hear people out there start redefining sin like this. You know they don't have the word in them. They do not have the word in them. They're a liar. They're, they're making God a liar and they do not have the word. There was a, as I end here, there's a the Prussian king, uh, Frederick the Great, who was once touring a, a prison in Berlin. As he was walking through and seeing all these prisoners, one by one the prisoners would fall on their knees and call out to the king and they would proclaim their innocence. And uh, except for one person, one man, he remained silent. And Frederick walked by and he looked at the man and he said, why are you here? And he said, armed robbery, your majesty. And the king said, are you guilty? Yes, indeed, your majesty. I, I deserve my punishment. Frederick then summoned the jailer and ordered him, release this guilty wretch at once. I will not have him kept in this prison where all these fine, innocent people are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so interesting. Everyone seems to be trying to minimize their sin, pushing it down, not seeming denying it. It's not that bad. Put a different label on it. The only one who really matters, and that is God, says, just be honest. Just agree with me on this. 
And I promise to be faithful and just to forgive it and to cleanse it, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Just bring it to me. Father, we thank you for your promises. Thank you, Lord, that, Lord, if we'll just be open, be honest, come to you. Lord, you'll forgive. You're faithful, you're just, and you'll cleanse us. Thank you for a clean slate in our hearts and our minds. Thank you for a conscience that can be clear. Thank you that you're faithful to do that for us. We love you. We praise you. Only you could do that. So we give you honor and praise for your blood this morning. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. You're dismissed. <clears throat>